following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. With patience bear thy cross of grief for pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, He faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend through thorny ways leads to a joyful end be still be still my soul thy God doth Yeah. Mm-hmm.
Is your salvation in any manner based on your behavior? I'm hearing many pastors today saying that your salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, and you have no behavioral part in that salvation. Now let's go right to the heart of it. Is our salvation in any manner based on our behavior? And I'm going to give you an unequivocal yes, absolutely. Does that mean that we earn our salvation? No, we do not earn our salvation. Can my behavior cause me to be utterly lost and cast down to hell? Yes. The scriptures have been so twisted with the wickedness of some Reformation teachings, particularly by Martin Luther and John Calvin. And these lies have literally destroyed the American Christian church. And we need to look very carefully. What is the basis of your authority? Where where do you base your reality? Do you base that on the teaching of religious professors? Or do you base it on the scriptures? I choose to base my beliefs on Jesus. I interpret all of the Pauline epistles, all of the writings of Peter and James and John. I interpret all of those writings through the words of Jesus Christ. They do not interpret Jesus for me. Jesus interprets himself by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to read several passages for you, and we're going to be dealing with these deep issues all week. But look with me, please, at Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Hebrews, the ninth chapter. I'm going to begin reading in verse 26. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now he has been appointed once and for all at the end of the ages 
to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. Now those, that phrase in the Greek, take away, if you look carefully, you'll discover that it means to lift up from, to remove. So Christ was sacrificed to lift up from us or to remove from us our sin. And so he will appear, continuing to read, a second time, not to bear sin, and that bear sin means to separate from, to take apart from, saying when he comes a second time, he's not coming to separate us from our sin. When we die, when we die, we are not separated from our sin. When we die, if we still walk in sin, we are under condemnation. We're not in Christ Jesus. Continuing to read, this is verse 28. So Christ was sacrificed once to lift up from us the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, not to separate us from sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now, I want you to notice a couple of other passages in the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, that made him holy, hagios, that made him holy, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know that he who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay again, the Lord will judge his people. And it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So very clearly, Jesus paid the price on Calvary. It was not a finished work. Now, I'm going to say things today that are a total opposite of the majority of pastors that are preaching today in America. But somewhere we have to stop and say, why has the American church become so utterly corrupt, filled with apostasy, filled with sin and wickedness, divorce and murder, and every kind of sin is found in the church today? Why? Because these pastors 
teachers have all taken the position that you can continue, in fact, must continue sinning, and Jesus' grace covers like a blanket over your sin. Now, you've heard me say some of this before, those of you who are regulars on this on this channel. But I want to share with you just a, a quick review, and then we're going to go into some very deep water. I want you to look with me in the book of Revelation, and in the Revelation we find letters to seven churches. Now to every one of these seven churches, he says one thing that is the same. The church at Ephesus, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to, to eat from the tree of life. It does not say, to him who claims my blood at the crucifixion, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. He doesn't say that. It doesn't say, to him who trusts in the finished work of Jesus at the cross, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. It doesn't say that. It says to him who overcomes. Now, the word overcome is a a very interesting word because it includes in it a sense of conflict, of a fight. And you've got to win that fight. Sin has to be destroyed in your life, and it's destroyed as a free gift by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not white-knuckling it. It's not struggling. It's not determined effort. It is trusting in the blood of Jesus for the total deliverance and victory over that wickedness that would encroach upon your heart and cause you to walk in sin. Now, if you look at the letter to Smyrna, verse 11, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. In other words, if you don't overcome your sin, you will be hurt. You'll die. Verse 12, the church at Pergamum. Listen to what he says. Verse 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. It's not given by a blanket of grace. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And the blood of Jesus Christ gives us the total deliverance so that we walk in freedom and righteousness We are sanctified fully and completely by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is all a gift. But let's be plain. The gift does not cover our sin. The gift removes our sin. And we have a part to play in cooperating with the mighty power of the Holy Spirit in renouncing all aspects of wickedness in our heart. If you look at each of the seven churches, they are all told the same thing. He who overcomes, I will. 
he who overcomes, I will. You must be an overcomer or you will not enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's plain. Jesus also in Revelation, in, and we won't turn to it now, but in the last chapter, lists those things, those sins, that will cause a person to not be allowed to enter into the kingdom of God. No, you must overcome now. Those sins must be put away now. Now, if we look at the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many, are one body, for we all partake of that one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifice participate in the altar? Do I mean that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifice of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are you trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now, I want to be very plain with you. But also very simple. there is a participation that we must have and take part in if we are going to enter the kingdom of God. If you simply say, the blood of Jesus covers me, he has unconditional love, and I can't quit sinning, I'll always be a sinner, then you cannot enter the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, I know Ephesians, the second chapter, is the Mount Everest for once saved, always saved. But it is a twisting of the words of the Apostle Paul, because if we look in the latter chapters of the book of Ephesians, he's very plain. There must be a total transformation of your life and of your heart you must become a new creature in Christ Jesus or you cannot enter the kingdom of God. This does not happen when we die. It happens as we live. Now, if you look at the sixth chapter, and we've looked at this many times, but let's look one more time. Let's look at the sixth chapter. 
Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. And at the bottom of the NIV, there's another note, or rendered powerless. But if you look at the Greek word being used here, it means to destroy. The old Adam nature is to be utterly destroyed in your life by the blood of Jesus Christ so that you no longer continue to sin. Now, I preached a sermon in an Anglican church and I read this passage of scripture. And when the bishop discovered what I had taught out of Romans 6. He told the pastor to kick that pastor out of his church, not allow him to enter it, and not allow him to pray or speak with any of his members. I was expelled. I was cast out of that Anglican church. I considered myself to be honored and in good company because John Wesley was also expelled from the pulpits of the Anglican church because he taught this straight word of scripture that I'm giving to you today. Now, some churches based in holiness have cast this aside. The assemblies of God, for example, have utterly cast this teaching of Wesley aside and teach that you will always be a sinner. Martin Luther taught that sin is like a man's beard. Every morning you have to shave it. And the next morning you have to shave it. You're always going to be fighting with your sin, and you're never going to gain the victory completely. Well, he was lying. He's not speaking the truth out of the scriptures. Martin Luther did a wonderful thing in helping the the Christian church escaped the trap of Roman Catholicism. But he was wrong. He did not honor the blood of Jesus Christ. He cast down the blood of Jesus. I am unwilling to do that. In the same manner, verse 11 Count yourselves dead to sin. Literally, inventory your life and be certain that you are dead in every way to all sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin 
reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Paul is saying it's your choice. Now, you can't be saved if you don't do this. You cannot enter the kingdom of Jesus Christ and continue to sin. Well, pastor, I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can. Well, stop trying and just die out. Victory over sin, our participation in what Jesus has done is the invitation he has given us to die, to be born from above, to be born as a new creature in Christ Jesus. Do we participate in that? Absolutely. And anyone who teaches that there is no part the human must play in their salvation is flat out speaking the word of the devil to your heart to seduce you and you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You are cast out and away. And this is the great apostasy of the American church. Now we must make a decision. Are you going to go by the words of Jesus Christ and the apostles, or are you going to go by the words of the modern American church? I am not going to go. I have spent my whole life departing from churches and denominations who would not adhere to the straight word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to go to that in just a moment. But listen, sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. That means you are eligible for the blood of Jesus Christ to totally remove all sin from your heart. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And righteousness leads to holiness. And without holiness, no man will see the Lord. But thanks be to God that, this is verse 17, thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. But now that you've been set free from sin, verse 22, and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The gift of God is the removal of all sin from your life by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I say that again. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ 
by the removal of all our sin now. Never in the scriptures is holiness found in the future tense. It is always in the present. Now, I want to take you to the words of Jesus. I'll begin reading in Matthew, the 10th chapter, and I'll begin in verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Well, what do I do when I acknowledge Jesus? I acknowledge the fact that he has given me a new birth, that I'm a new creature in Christ, and that he has removed my sin, and that I no longer walk in it. Am I perfect? No, not in the sense of the Greek, because I still make mistakes, but they're not intentional. We're talking about voluntary rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about determining in your heart that you will continue to walk in the way in which you choose to walk. That you will not submit to the removal of your sin by the blood of Jesus. Whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. If I say, I'm going to be a sinner until I die, you have just disowned Jesus Christ before men. You have not borne witness that the blood of Jesus Christ is the most powerful element in all of the world, in all of the universe. And that by that blood you have been made holy, sanctified through and through, regenerate, that you are listening and acting for victory in overcoming your sin by turning to Jesus. Now, when a man says to me, I can't overcome my sin, pastor, you've just said to me, I love my sin. You've just said, I like being a worldly person. But I also want the covering of the church so I can go to church and I can be inspired and encouraged and I can talk about, whoa, 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 I'm good to go. No, you're not. You're lost. You're hellbound. Let's be straight. I mean, we're living in a nation that is utterly collapsing. If you took the vaccination... Okay, everybody had to decide, but now we have a lot more information about that vaccination, and we know it is a death shot. Don't take any more. Cry out to Jesus and put your trust in him and in his healing power in your body and in your life. The economy is collapsing. We're going to see a total destruction of the fiat dollar. 
that is the currency that has the petrodollar, but has no inherent value in it, such as gold or silver or other exchanges. Oh, but but pastor, I can't do this and this and this if I don't get the shot. That's true. That's the wickedness of their mandates. It's why I'm voting tomorrow for a man by the name of Yunkin to be the next governor of our great state of Virginia because he has promised no mandates. You know, this goes so deep. Don't let the devil fool you. Verse 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Why would he say that? Because this earth is owned for many years by the power of darkness, by the devil, the Lord of the air. But at the cross, the provision was made for Jesus to come back and take the title deed away from the devil into his own hands. And at the resurrection, the title deed of the earth was given back to Jesus Christ. Now it's going to take a sword to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. It's going to take a sword to separate the sinner from the, from the righteous who has overcome. He says, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, Jesus did not come as a sentimental peacemaker. He came to divide the righteous from the sinner. And he came to die on Calvary to destroy the works of the devil in your life and in mine. The first epistle of John is very clear about that in the third chapter. He came to establish his kingdom in opposition to the kingdom of darkness. Now, if you continue to walk in sin, you are a part of the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus has come to separate you out to either the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness 
and all these other things will be given unto you. What things? The things that pagans are after. Food and rent, mortgage, car payments, whatever. Now there's another scripture I'd like to turn to. It's Matthew, the 16th chapter, verse 24. And with my elders, we spent a day this last week praying. And we began that time of prayer by asking the Lord, how would you have us pray? What's on your heart? It's very important to ask Jesus, not what's on his mind, but what is on his heart. I want the heart of God. I'm not interested in the intelligence. He's way beyond me. I'm interested in his heart. I want to know how he feels about me. I want to know how he feels about the church. I want to know what is his heart cry. This passage had been my point of meditation and fasting up until that Thursday when we prayed. But on that Thursday, the Lord opened a part of this that I'd never really considered before in a serious way. Let's read it and I'll share with you what he said. This is Matthew 16, beginning with verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. That word deny in the Greek is literally meaning to say, I don't know you. I don't know you. So Jesus is saying, you must say no to you, but you must also say, I don't know you. You're a stranger to me. I have to say to myself, Ray, in the old body, in the old nature, in the Satan nature, I don't know you anymore. You're finished. You're dead. I'm done with you. Take up his cross. Why would he take up his cross? And in the Greek, the tense is to continually take up my cross. In other words, I'm going to have a cross with me the rest of my life. What is the cross for? To be certain that this old man is dead, that it no longer has any power or influence in my life. And follow me. Well, what did it mean for the apostles to follow Jesus? It meant they left their jobs, their fishing fleets. It meant they left everything. Peter left his wife sitting in their home, and he went and followed Jesus. He became a fisher of men. And then she joined him in being a fisher of men. For whoever wants, this is verse 25, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? This is the part that was quickened to me by the Spirit of God. 
I want to talk about it. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. The man who says, I cannot quit sinning, is saying, I'm trying to save my life. I'm trying to save my fleshly life. I enjoy this sin. I enjoy the fornication. I enjoy being mad. I enjoy going after the things of darkness. I enjoy my violent video games. I enjoy my television. I enjoy all of my YouTube videos that I enjoy going to. I enjoy these things. I want to save the parts of my life that I think are good. And Jesus is saying, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. You've got to lose your whole life. Every part of it you have to lose. Now, I'll share with you in a minute a scripture that says you must hate your mother, your father, your children, your wife, even your own life. Well, what does he mean when he says you must hate it? It means you must be indifferent to your own life as compared to your commitment to me, to Jesus. It says, whoever loses his life for me will find it. Now, I want to just talk about that for a minute in my own life. Because part of what came to me very quickly as the Holy Spirit began to open this was the truth, the reality, that I have lost almost every aspect of my personal life. What do I mean? I've I've lost people that I love because I had to put Jesus ahead of them and many of those people didn't like it that I put Jesus ahead of them. And so they bailed out. They didn't want to be a part of my life. They cut me off. Can I be straight? They cut me off. They won't talk to me. They said, don't call me. One man even went so far as to change his phone number to be certain that I could not call him. People get angry when they recognize that they are secondary in your life as compared to Jesus Christ. Now, my late wife, Jan, we always said to one another from the very beginning of our friendship and marriage, we always said, Jesus must stand between us. He has first right on our life. You, Jan, are secondary to me. Jesus is first. And likewise, she said, Raymond, you are secondary and Jesus is first. Now, when she died, I was very upset. Until the Lord said to me, didn't you say that I stood between you and I had first rights on her life? Yes, I did say that. Well, I simply claimed what you said was mine. And I backed down. Yes. He had need of her, and so he took her. And he had every right to do so because 
I was second in line. She was first with Jesus. Well, every other aspect of my life, when I first began this journey, I was an entrepreneur. I wanted every way possible to make my church grow larger and larger. I I learned a great deal about guerrilla marketing, about mail and, and promotion. I learned how to speak to my board and my congregation in a way that would rally them to what I wanted to do. Like I convinced them, let's do television for Christmas one year. And so everyone pulled together and we raised a budget of $10,000 so that we could do a special Christmas show on Channel 7 in Washington, D.C. That was not led by the Spirit. That was led by my own ego and my own desire to be successful and to build my church. Makes me weep today. Most pastors that I know are entrepreneurs. They're promoters. And they're always looking for the next new idea. And implementing that new idea in their sermon. And using it in such a manner to get the congregation and the board to go along with their desires. And it's wickedness. It's not Holy Spirit. It's human spirit. And most churches in America today have been built on human spirit, not Holy Spirit. So part of what I've had to identify is the fact that my ability to make great plans and implement those plans to build the kingdom of God, I've had to lay those aside. I want what the Holy Spirit wants to build, not what my flesh wants to build. And if it's going to be, it's up to God. It's not up to me. I'm not going to manipulate for money. I'm not going to manipulate to gain a program advantage. I am going to wait upon the Lord. Jonathan Edwards made his congregation very angry and upset with him because he began spending 16 to 18 hours a day in his prayer closet reading the scriptures and crying God for the salvation of his congregation because it was a half-converted congregation. They were great in religion, but did not want to die out and leave their leave their lives. They wanted to keep their lives and keep their religion. And he preached against that and finally went to them with a sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And they yawned. It didn't touch them. Made them angrier. And finally, when a crisis came up over some unclean behavior on the part of some teens in the church. And he dealt with it. They fired him. 
But the first great awakening began as he preached sinners in the hands of an angry God in another church. And the Spirit of God fell in great power. And America was prepared by the preaching of Jonathan Edwards for the great conflict with England. Many others joined in and also preached. And they preached holiness. Jonathan Edwards preached that you must leave all sin or you are not saved. He was a reformed preacher. What I have painfully looked at in my own life is how I have chosen to follow Jesus, to take up my cross, and allow my life to be squeezed out that I could take up his life. Now, I say painful because crucifixion is never easy. It's never casual. It's painful. And part of what I've discovered about myself, I'm being very frank with you, is that there is still a kernel of self in my life. And I've been fasting and praying and crying out to the Lord that this kernel of self could be utterly destroyed now. It's not, it's not outward sin. It's my ways. My ways have to go. They have to be God's ways. I want God's ways in my life. I don't want any of my ways remaining. And so the Lord has me in crucifixion. Now, verse 27 is a very key verse to tie up today's broadcast. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done or according to his activity. Jesus is saying, you must overcome. You must be crucified with him. You must deny that you even know yourself and become a totally new person in Christ Jesus. And some people say to me, Pastor, I haven't made the decision yet. I understand why. It's not an easy, quick decision to make because it means you must be crucified with Christ. It means your life as you know it is over. Your values, your ways, your friendships, everything is going to be transformed and changed. But I want to tell you, the kingdom of darkness is bitterness and hardness. We're going to deal with that tomorrow. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is joy and peace and love and hope. Who would not want to dwell in that kind of life? Well, we're out of time today. Lord Jesus, I come now before you asking that this word that has been spoken with such love and compassion for my brothers and sisters would accomplish its purpose, that you would come 
and give them the victory to do what they must do to enter into the true kingdom of heaven, not the false religion of the American church. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I want to report for you this first day of November that the money is in place by a miraculous series of events. The money is in place for October's radio bill. I want to thank you. I am humbled. I have been thanking Jesus for you by name. Thank you. I am, I am awed by your love for Jesus and your faithfulness in your giving. We've really missed some of our old timers who used to give on the internet on Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, you can go to our, our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can give toward November's radio bill. I'd love to see some of you step in again, but I'll leave that with Jesus. You can write to me also at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. Two two one nine five. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box twenty three forty six, Woodbridge, Virginia two two one nine five, or go to our webpage nationalprayerchapel.com. Would you subscribe to our channel if you have not already on the YouTube, and would you also? Would you also go to your social media pages and post this message? It'll cause conflict, but we're big boys and girls. Put it on Facebook. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.